Hello, friend. Welcome back to Adrenaline on Realm. I am your host, Neil Helligers. We, we are definitely in the buddy cop portion of our program now with James and Terrence, though it's not so much uh, good cop, bad cop as it is uh, chunky rainbow cop and grumpy cop. But hopefully still good enough to catch a clone killer and, uh, you know, maybe with some room for improvement, but always with some room for a word from our sponsor. Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening, and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On May Day, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to May Day wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get back to see how Terrence handles James, uh, let's talk uh, for a minute about Harry Shum Jr. Uh, and his really incredible handling of the show. Uh, and, you know, you have seen him before. You've seen him in Crazy Rich Asians. You've seen him in Grey's Anatomy. You've seen him in Shadowhunters on Glee. Uh, he is definitely a force to be reckoned with. And especially hearing how he's handling um, uh, this kind of narration, this kind of voice acting is very distinct from any other kind of acting in many ways, whether it be stage or film or TV, uh, to inhabit all these different characters, but uh, do it in such a way that um, the listener, you, um, forget that you're listening to just one person and you're just in the story. That's always the ideal with my narration work, and I think Harry Shum is doing a fantastic job of fulfilling that. So without any further ado, let's see what new twists await us in episode five of Echo Park. Enjoy. Sir, you need to breathe. The emergency dispatcher says. I try again, sucking in a shuddering breath. The cell phone feels gummy. Or maybe that's my shaking hand. There's been a... Someone is dead. James is gone. It's just me. Me and Charles's body. We have help coming to your location now. Can you please give us your name and address? Too late. I realize what I'm doing. The burner phone crunches like a giant roach under my foot. My head fills with static. The cops can trace my call. Locations. Something about pinging towers. But will they know it's me? I spoke. Could they identify me by my voice alone? Fuck. I bend down to the shattered phone. Rub the fragments in the fabric of my tea. No prints. But what about my DNA? 
I sprint out the door, down the stairs, and chuck the broken burner into the gutter. James is still here. Part of me thought he'd be long gone by now. I ran toward the car. Okay, it's done. I called. Someone should be coming. I can't get the images out of my head. Thick, viscous red soaked into the carpet, filling the seams of the sheet vinyl behind the couch. Fuck, how did this happen? His head was... My own head throbs. I've, I've never seen a brain. Skull bone. All those little pieces. Who could have... James? In the passenger seat, James lies limp, eyes shut, mouth dangling. My head swivels from James to the road and back. At my voice command, the car starts, one advantage being an echo. I punch a random mattress into the nav. Anywhere but here. Where do we go now? James doesn't respond. I nudge him. Hey, are you okay? Is he in shock? He can't possibly be asleep. Or... My blood pressure spikes. What if whoever killed Charles came for James too? What if he's... But then, James stirs. James draws out each syllable. His eyes blink one at a time. Glassy, unfocused. The car lurches into gear, and something orange rolls out from under James's seat. Frowning, I grab it. The pill bottle prescribed for Charles. Oxycodone. Oh, shit. Oh, no, 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 no. I chuck the bottle at James's forehead. It bounces off, and my source gives me a slow smile. Oh, my God, you selfish little... Easy, bro. James half-heartedly waves to deflect the bottle, several seconds too late. I can't believe you're fucking high right now. How many did you take, James? 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 James is out again, his cheeks squished against the car window. I grab his shoulder, shake him hard. Nothing. Fuck. Think, think, I mumble as the car dodges traffic. We need to lay low. Somewhere neither me nor James are known. Not James's place or his office. Somewhere no one would think to look. We pulled up to the Pina, a luxury love hotel in the Palisades that boasts an array of fantasy rooms, a full-service spa, and most importantly, discretion. I used James's credit card for the online booking, hoping he'll understand that I needed it too. It's an emergency. I haul James out of the car toward our private suite. Like the old cat cafes and beauty face masks, this hotel fat appropriated from Japan took several years before it finally stuck. I didn't specify what type of room, so I gape, fish-like, as I walk into the underwater-themed destination. Soft, neon blue lighting, an aquarium taking up the entire wall, LED flooring that mimics a white sand beach. There's even a white clamshell bed. Come on, James. Use your legs. I grimace as James collapsed just short of the bed. A string of saliva hangs from his mouth like a pendulum. I haul him up, then dump him face down on the bed. It's James's phone. I fish it out of his pocket. On the screen are several missed call notifications and a wall of texts from James's mom. Mom, honey, call me. Mom, 
where are you? Mom, James, this isn't funny. Mom, I'm going to track your phone. Mom, you deleted the app, didn't you? Mom, if you don't call me this instant, I'm calling the police. Mom, I am not joking, James. It's been two days and I nor Hadassah has seen you. Would James's mom really call the cops? The police can definitely track his cell, even if his mom can't. I pushed James onto his side, shaking him again. James, get up. James, get the fuck up. James! Damn it. I pace in a tight circle, damp hands coating the phone. Then I clear my throat, trying to mimic James's cadence. <clears throat> hi, mom. <clears throat> hi, hi, mom. <clears throat> hey, mom. <clears throat> whoa, 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 what's up, mom? Oh, God. I can't do this. I can't imitate a source. The phone vibrates. I get a text. Mom, that's it. I'm calling 911. When the phone buzzes again, I nearly drop it. I fumble the answer button. Hi, Mom. Wait, does James call his mother Mom? <sighs> My throat feels tight as a pinhole. James! Why, <sighs> Heidze? Why are you ignoring your mother? I thought something bad had happened to you. I've been calling you for hours, and it's nearly two o'clock in the morning. Where are you? I glanced around the room, panicked. I'm, I'm fine, Mom. I was just out with some friends, you know, decided to, uh, you know, stay over with them. Ah, a girl? My head spins. How can Mrs. Zhang's tones switch from agonizing worry to cheerful hope so fast? Also, does James date? If so, what's his type? James, just tell your mother if she needs to start making wedding plans. Oh, God. James is going to kill me. When he wakes up, if he wakes up, I shake my head. No, 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 just, just friends. Nothing romantic. James's mother makes a plosive sigh in disappointment. <sighs> Fine. So, are you coming home soon, or do your friends come before your parents? Uh, when? Of course you forgot. Our anniversary dinner tomorrow night? Well, tonight, seeing as it is after midnight. You said you would come. We haven't sat down just us three in a while. A new sweat breaks out over my forehead. I eye James again. Oh, I don't know how long it takes to come down from a high like this, but I've seen the aftermath of a few benders. James will likely still be a mess, even by tomorrow night. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. C can I reschedule? Reschedule your mother and father's anniversary. The silence grows palpable. Say something. It's just, you know, something came up. I hold my breath, listen to the irritated huff on the other end. But when James's mother speaks again, she sounds softer now. Less annoyed. More worried. You sound odd, son. If something is wrong, you know you can tell me. Whatever it is, we'll figure it out. You're not using it again, right? She knows. But she clearly doesn't know James has started using again recently. In large part thanks to me. I feel a guilty swell watching my source snore. I could tell her the truth. It might light a fire under James's ass to get clean. 
But from everything James has told me about his parents, I doubt I'd see him again until they force him through a stint in rehab. As much of a pain as James has been, I still don't know if I can face all this alone. I clear my throat. <clears throat> I'm fine, Mom. What time is dinner? James flings an arm out in his sleep, his fingers dangling off the clamshell frame. I can't help the annoyance bubbling to the surface, making my whole face go hot. James has a mother who loves him, a mother panicked about where he's been. And here he is, sky high without a care in the world. Sources take everything for granted. The brightness in her voice returns. Seven still work for you, Mr. Popular. Adasha is making her tanta, by the way. Maybe by tomorrow, James will be awake and he can go to the dinner, explain himself to his own parents. If not, James posed as me easily enough. Why can't I do the same? Seven is perfect. Seven is too fucking soon. James sleeps like a log all night, which makes me jealous. Every time I close my eyes, I picture Charlie's face again, or what was left of it. It was my fault, at least partially. I promised to protect him. Instead, bile surges. I'm wide awake all over again. In the morning, James comes to, long enough to gulp a full glass of water. Then he sinks under again, only moaning or mumbling nonsense in response to my questions. I spend the morning scrolling through James's social media feed. I mimic phrases from James's videos, trying on his smile in the mirror. It brings me to the verge of tears. What am I thinking? I can't be James. I didn't grow up in an outside society. I don't know how sources act around their families. What's he even like with his family? Is James honest and open with them? Standoffish? What is it even like to have a family? And the Zhangs, do they speak Mandarin at home? I've picked up a few phrases over the years, but nowhere near enough to hold down an entire conversation. James's parents will probably find me out immediately, call the cops and the story will be all over the news. A clone imposter taking his source's place. It's exactly what the Echo haters want. Fuck, this is a terrible idea. James's phone pings again. Mom, see you tonight. Xia Gua. Xia Gua? Oh, does that mean dummy? Oh, no, 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 I can't do this. I clench my jaw. Canceling will definitely make her suspicious. She already brought up drugs. If she comes looking for James and finds him in the state, with me, never mind the fact that I just fled a crime scene after reporting a suicide. No, a murder. I refuse to believe Charles did that to himself. The thought of Charles steals my nerves. It's one dinner. I can handle this. Leaving another glass of water and some suspiciously delicious room service. I don't want to think about how much a soup alone costs. I head to a high-end clothing store to swap out my thrift store finds for something nicer. I can't wear blood-stained pants at dinner. I'll thank James for this later too. Besides, he owes me. Finally, I swing by the salon for a haircut in style. I usually wear my hair in a medium wispy crop with a side part, while James favors something more textured but shaved on the sides. When the stylist is done, I stare into the mirror, feeling oddly displaced. The face staring back is more James than my own. 
mimicking a source as antithetical to the Circle's beliefs. To every Echo's beliefs, save for radicals like whoever attacked Charles. Yet, here I am, indulging in the toxic fantasy of becoming my source. It doesn't feel as good as I imagined, but it doesn't feel entirely wrong, either. Before I know it, it's time. The house looms like a cresting wave as James's car guides itself up the driveway. No, not a house, a compound. The Zhangs live in a veritable mansion. It's palatial, all marble and glass and hard minimalist angles. Roque would call it gauche, a pathetic attempt at futuristic beauty that in reality appears sterile, inert. That cheap bastard, I mutter as the security system on the gate lights up. A light beams across my face through the windshield. I stiffen, breath solidifying in my lungs. I've never seen a scanner like this. Can it tell I'm a fake? The gate slides open. Exhaling hard through my teeth, I wait for the car to park itself. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this, Terrence. I raise a hand to knock, then pause. James lives here. He wouldn't knock. Inside, the Zhang home is as intimidatingly modern as its exterior. White everything. Sparse decor. Floor-to-ceiling windows. A few family photos hang in floating glass frames. I can't help it. I stare. I've seen images of my biological parents on the internet, but I've never seen young James. Little James playing youth soccer. Teen James in a stage family photo. <laughs> Smile awkwardly lopsided. In one, James's mom holds infant James, a big-eyed, chubby bundle, his mouth in a huge, toothless smile. I don't have any photos of myself as a baby. Did I ever look this happy? Arms wrap gently around my waist. Ah, you're here. I nearly jump out of my skin. Ah, yeah. James, you're stiff as a board. Did I scare you? No, I... I awkwardly turn in James's... My mother's arms. She's an elegant woman. Dressed in a loose beige blazer. White turtleneck and cigarette pants. She matches the house. Her long dark hair is pulled back into an austere ponytail. Large black eyes overshadow a small, pensive mouth. James's mouth. Mine, too. She tilts her head to the side, presses her cool palm to my forehead. You okay? You look pale. I can't stop staring. Hanging out with my source for the last few months got me so used to sharing my features with James. This is different. Uh, I'm fine. Sorry, late, late night. Busy day. I manage a weak smile. Uh, you didn't eat again, huh? She tuts. I shake my head, happy to at least offer this small truth. Well, come then. The appetizers are almost ready. Hello, friend. This is Neil Helligers, host of Adrenaline Realms Thriller Channel, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit more about the Greenlight app. And this message is, of course, sponsored by Greenlight, but I was using, our family was using the Greenlight app uh, even before the first ad in a wonderful, thrilling, cosmic coincidence, right? See what I did there? 
So again, to catch you up, Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. Basically, the way it works is that parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving. And you can see exactly how much money they have in their account. And there's different ways to give them money. What we've been doing is on a, like a weekly allowance, a certain amount that goes into his account every week. So in order to further the conversation about money and about earning, uh, we're using Greenlight as a kind of a foundation for that conversation. Uh, in other words, instead of just the allowance he gets for certain base things that he's expected to do around the house, uh, we are also adding the chore feature, which is certain one-time payments for certain one-time jobs. For example, in our house, we're trying to encourage our son to start walking the dog more. He's old enough for it, he's responsible enough for it, and he's done it enough that he knows what to do. So he can really see that for all those extra times that he steps up and does the dog walk, he gets rewarded for that job well done. And this is the conversation. In life, when you work a little extra harder, you get a little extra compensation and you can either save that up or spend it how you like. And we're not alone in this. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's a very easy and very convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and for families to navigate life together. So sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash adrenaline. That's greenlight.com slash adrenaline to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash adrenaline slash 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 slash. So thrilling, right? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I expected a nice dinner, but not private chef nice. James's father is already at the table. A woman who looks near my age pours a glass of wine. I smile awkwardly at her and manage a, hi. Of course they have a fucking maid. Again, I'm stunned into stillness hovering behind my chair. Dr. Zhang looks less intimidating than he does in photos. In the ones I found, my biological father wore scrubs and a lab coat, a uniform that still unsettles me no matter how hard I try to shake the memories. His jaw is sharp and defined. Otherwise, he's fairly average looking, except for a classy stripe of white through his hair. I hope I inherited that trait. Dr. Zhang doesn't greet me. He just raises an eyebrow. I keep my mouth shut as I sit. Wine? Or do you want Hadassah to make you a drink? Asks Mrs. Zhang, taking a seat beside me. Hadassah, Hadassah, Hadassah. I repeat her name. Got to remember that. I'm fine, thank you. But then I remember I'm not myself tonight. I'm James. Uh, uh, I mean, wine. Wine sounds good. So, you were working today? A brief flit of panic. Can I get away with making up an entire workday? Best not to risk it.
Ah, uh, no, I was with friends. As if the very word exhausts him, Dr. Zhang repeats. Friends. Well, your mother was pacing the entire square footage of the house from stress. You couldn't text her back. I feel both embarrassed and excited. A real-life parental scolding. I tuck my head. Y you're right. I should have. Sorry for worrying you. Mrs. Zhang snorts and opens her mouth to speak. But both she and Dr. Zhang quickly devolve into ooze of appreciation as the chef brings out the first course. Steamed bamboo pith with scallions and spinach. Spicy crab claws and a salt and pepper squid. As we eat, I nod or shake my head to most of their questions. Best to avoid talking. I exclaim over the food once or twice, though. It seems like something James would do. Occasionally, Mrs. and Dr. Zhang lapse into Mandarin. I tense each time, but they mostly seem to speak it to one another. Watching them, I realize James's parents are still very much in love. There's an ease about their conversation and manner I didn't expect. James always described them as overbearing and uptight, so I assumed they'd be emotionally reserved too. Why did I believe James? My source is a self-centered lying addict. Of course, James feels judged by his parents. He's a ticking time bomb and they all know it. So do I. The pepper squid turns sour on my tongue. Through a mouthful of noodles, Dr. Zhang says, How is work going, son? Any promotions coming up? I clear my throat. I need to focus on getting through the night. Not picking apart my source's family life. A life that could have been yours, a bitter voice says. It's not really a vertical career, but it's going well. I'm helping people. I inject some confidence into my voice. Does James try and impress his dad? Or is he indifferent? It doesn't matter. I need to turn this around. I bet you were what? Finishing med school when you were my age? A look of comic offense widens Dr. Zhang's eyes. More like finishing my fellowship. Mrs. Zhang sucks her teeth. And I was raising you if that matters at all. I manage a closed mouth laugh around a honey pork rib. How did you do it? A kid, doctoring, mom's work, being married. She cups my cheek. You make it sound like a slog. We were elated to finally have you. After everything, raising you was like walking on a cloud. There's a hint of a smile in Dr. Zhang's eyes. Except when you wet the bed for a year straight. Or hit from us when you pooped your pants. <laughs> Except that. My mother agrees. No. Mrs. Zhang. Not my mother. I can't forget my place. Especially not here. Not tonight. But it feels good to laugh with them. Then I pause. Chewing thoughtfully. What do you mean by finally? Ma? That's not dinner talk, James. Dr. Zhang eyes his plate. Ting either. He's grown. It's fine for him to hear. She clasps my hand gently. Her faint smile warms me, like a key turning in the rusty lock of my heart. We lost a few babies before you finally fought your way to us. I don't know if I ever told you that. I don't think so. But... I feel nostalgic tonight. 
and grateful. She reaches to grab her husband's hand, squeezes it. Dr. Zhang hums in agreement, the twitch of a smile finally reaching the corner of his mouth, but not his eyes. I thumb her smooth knuckles. You say I fought to get to you, but it sounds like the other way around. How did you get through it? Not giving up. Because we wanted you, she says. So matter-of-factly, I feel a shallow sting in my eyes. But yes, we did all we could. My body was not very hospitable to you. I tried all sorts of diets, therapies, and vitamins. Even Zhongyao and holistic nonsense. Your father gave me checkups often to monitor your progress. We fought our way to each other. She smiles, a little delight of realization. I force a smile even as my head reels at the implication. So that's why they joined the program. Pregnancy issues. How did Dr. Zhang pay for all that? He was a med student around the time my program began. Nowhere near as financially secure as he is now. The early clones mostly came from financial donors and investors. All hideously wealthy and keen on progressing the art of cloning and gene therapy. As far as I know from my research over the years, the Zhangs aren't old money. Maybe Dr. Zhang bought his way in with something other than money. Or maybe... You're both unusually sentimental tonight, Dr. Zhang observes. It's our anniversary, Louis. I'm old. I'm allowed sentiments. And that's why I want you, James, to take finding a partner seriously. You're already 30 and you have no prospects. I'll be dead by the time you give me grandbabies. Yours or adopted, I don't care. Don't you think I deserve them? She casts a mischievous look at me. I nearly spit in my wine glass. Jeez, uh... You're gonna drop that story on me, then guilt me into having children? Is it working? We both break into laughter. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't don't think I'm the type. Forget type. You won't be able to afford grandchildren or a partner if you don't get a decent job. Dr. Zhang mumbles under his breath. We both hear. Mrs. Zhang swats his arm. But he only frowns. Kisses his teeth. It's true, isn't it? Why else is he still here at home? (sighs) Don't be rude to James. Dr. Zhang swirls his wine absently. I'm only concerned about him, Marie. You need to do something with your life, James. Something that matters. Once you find it, then your life will start. You'll stop feeling so lost. Suddenly, I remember what James said about his father. How he would like everything about me, except for the counseling. My usual shyness melts. How can he say that about James's profession? About mine? I straighten in my seat. I'm not lost. I make sure people don't get hurt or killed. My work matters. Not people. Criminals. Mrs. Zhang winces. Louis, that's an awful and untrue generalization. I grit my teeth. Dr. Zhang shakes his head. James, when I was your age, I was raising you, working my fellowship, doing research, and all at the top of my game. You can do that too, if you made the effort. And don't tell me it's generational. Look at Robin Liu's daughter. 
a published astrophysicist at 26. Remember Calvin and Brett from down the street? The first twin valedictorians at UCLA, and then I have to go to lunch with their parents and tell them my son still lives at home and spends his day finger-wagging at cops? The tirade is so typical of a narcissistic parent that I feel a pang of disappointment. Unreasonable expectations, pressuring your children to do better, all of it is textbook. For the first time since setting foot in the house, I understand a little of where James is coming from. But another emotion blinks into being, too. This one surprises me. Anger. All this familial support. The wealth of resources. What could I have done with all of this? Who could I have been? I refuse to believe I've become another James. A spoiled slacker with a chip on his shoulder. Maybe I would have become a doctor. A son. A father. Happy. Loved. I hold my father's gaze. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I should have been a doctor like you. Because, you know, I'm just your reflection, right? Dr. Zhang's mouth flattens into a line, his eyes breaking to the left. You should be so lucky. Even if I followed exactly in your footsteps, would you be satisfied? I doubt it. James's mother's earlier smiles have melted into worry. I feel a pang of guilt, but not enough to back down. You can do whatever you want, James. I just want you to do something meaningful, not just some entry-level volunteer position. I had nothing, and look what I had accomplished. You have the world at your fingertips, and you take it for granted. I bristle, possibly because I was just thinking the same thing, and I'm only now realizing it's wrong, or at least not entirely right. The prestige, or lack thereof doesn't define my value, or yours, or anyone's. And what we value is clearly worlds apart. How I raised such a stubborn child. You could have had anything, James, anything. Anyone you wanted to be, you were given the best. Anything, anyone. Does Dr. Zhang think he chose the wrong son? If he participated in the program, he must know I exist. Does he feel guilty about me? Or maybe he's all but forgotten his son's clone. I say evenly. All that nurture and you couldn't beat nature. Maybe I inherited your failure, Dad. Your bad karma. <laughs> More excuses. Right. Nothing could be the fault of the infallible Dr. Zhang. Gola! I don't want to hear this anymore. As she leaves, I catch a glimmer of moisture in her lashes and my heart turns into a fist-sized bruise. Great. First and only time I meet my mother, and I make her cry. Dr. Zhang radiates anger, but I absorb it with a steely gaze. I burn it all up in my own resentment. My biological father's emotions are nothing compared to my bitterness. He has no idea who I am, what I've been through, the life I've led, all thanks to him to the decisions he made a long time ago. I brace for more arguments. I'd welcome a fight at this point. Instead, Dr. Zhang rises in silence and follows his wife out. The silence of the dining room leaves only my heartbeat pumping in my ears. Was I too harsh? James bickers with his parents, but does he fight like that? Did I blow his cover? Oh, why?
Did I let my emotions get the better of me? This was supposed to be a nice dinner. My mother's face flashes in my mind. I hurt her. Ruined her anniversary. I curse inwardly, scrub my hands up and down my face until my skin stings. Do you want dessert? Hadassah's voice startles me. I jerk my arms away from my face. My wine glass clatters across the table, spilling an oblong red puddle. Oh, shit, sorry. I jump up, grab a cloth napkin, and begin dabbing it. The color, so red. Charles's face shoves to the forefront. The pool of dark blood. The sound the carpet made as I knelt. That horrible squelching sound. And Charles's eyes. Black marbles, mouth agape. Hadassah clears her throat. <clears throat> Leave it. It's fine. No, it's, it's my fault. My eyes sting. My hand shakes. I toss a napkin aside and begin to stack the dirty dishes. I can handle it. I, I mean, I can help. I avoid her gaze, collecting forks, then knives. Hadassah stares. Eventually, she bends to her own tasks. The methodical cleanup soon calms me again. After a few minutes, we clear the table. I follow her to the kitchen, where, side by side, we quietly wash and dry the dishes that don't fit into the dishwasher. I glance at Hadassah in my periphery. She looks about my age, with a long, narrow face, high-set eyes, in a permanent curve at the corner of her wide mouth. It's an attractive confluence of features that gives me the impression of mischief or cunning. How well does she know James? How long has she worked here? You're staring, Hadassah says. I whip back to the sink, scrubbing a chopping board with profound focus. Sorry. Something sharp pokes into my ribs. I pause, looking at Hadassah. Then slowly, I follow her gaze down. The tip of a large shiny Santoku knife rests against my side. Both her grip and gaze are unflinching. You're not James. Fuck. The cutting board hits a sink with a splash. I throw both hands up. What gave me away? Doesn't matter. Ugh. How would James handle this? He'd act spoiled and pissed off. That's how. What the fuck are you talking about? Hadassah, you're being... Okay, you're being totally crazy right now, right? My mom will be pissed if you... You're pathetic. Do you even practice mimicking, James? You know, you're really an awful stand-in. What do you want? Hadassah snorts, moving the tip of the knife to my belly. <laughs> I don't know what... What do you mean? Look, it's me, James. I. Who else would I be? Oh my god. Save it, clone. Clone? She knows. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, that's, that's not. Hadassah rolls her eyes. Fine. Should I guess? You're a stalker who wanted to meet your bio parents. No? Okay. Then you came to kill your original. Oh, you keep shaking your head. <laughs> Where is James? Hadassah takes her phone, knife still aloft, and dials. 
In my pocket, James's phone buzzes. Hadassah's eyes go cold as she moves the sandoko to my throat. Where is James? He's, he's at a, he's at a hotel. Okay, he, he's, he's safe. I, I'm just covering for him because he's sick. And and, and okay, yeah, yes, I, I wanted to meet my biological parents, don't uh, uh, donors, and also I'm trying to figure out some stuff about my dad, our dad, and the cloning shit. And stop it. He's sick. Sick. How? The knife is cold. A trickle of something wet traces down my throat. Sweat? Or blood? He took too much of something. Pills. He, he's, he's fine. He's knocked out. How long have you known James? Months. Months now. And how do I know he's not already dead? Besides the fact that you look like you couldn't kill Housefly. She arches a brow, giving me a lingering once over. Look, I, I, I can call him. I gave him my phone and took his. Look, l- l- let me just grab my phone. Don't you dare move. Rasa slips a hand into my pocket, pulling out the phone. What's your name? Terence? Hadassah scrolls for a few seconds. Flashes an icy glare. I don't see a Terence. Ah, uh, um, try, try Ter Bear. A few thumb taps, and then Hadassah sighs and clicks call, putting it on speaker. It rings a few times. With each ring, the knife digs harder into the flesh of my neck. Pick up, James, pick up, come on, pick up, James. Finally. Right before voicemail kicks in, the line connects. Groan echoes through the kitchen and Hadassah immediately slides the volume down. James, is that you? James, it's Hadassah. What is going on? I point at the phone, then myself. Hadassah gives me a narrow once-over. Then, slowly, she removes the knife from my throat. I glance at the doorway. James's parents left for some other wing after dinner. I hope they're still there. James, it's Terrence. Your, um, housekeeper wants to know you're okay. That that, that I, I didn't kill you. All right, can can just can you help me out? Terry Bear, <laughs> Mister Me. I resist the urge to massage my temples. Oh my God! Yes, James, Terrence. Can you just tell Hadassah you're okay? Hadassah elbows me out of the way. James, are you okay? Is this clone holding you hostage? Clone? That's my, that's my, that's my bro, Hadassah. My bro clone. My brone. Right, Terror? I exhale, eyes locked on Hadassah. Her expression gives away nothing. Please, don't let these be my last words. Yes, James, I'm your brone for life. <laughs> you said brone. Oh, broner. And then something distinctly like a fart echoes through the speakers, followed by the clattering of a phone hitting the ground. The call ends. Well, that sure was James. Harasa turns on her heel, sliding the knife back into the wood block. She reminds me of a cat who lost interest in its toy. Suddenly and coolly indifferent. How did you know? I clutched my throat. She didn't nick me after all. Just a few beads of nervous sweat. But I imagine I can still feel the bite of the blade. That you're a clone? 
besides your absolutely terrible James cosplay and the fact that James would never help me clean. I'm a clone. I can smell the original thirst on you a mile away. My eyes widen. Oh, holy shit. Are, are you one of theirs? The Zhangs? <laughs> no. You think I'd put up with being a housekeeper if I could prove I was their daughter? I lean on the countertop, arms crossed. I hope it looks more confident. If you're an echo, then you know about the killings. Yep. Arasa doesn't look up, just keeps washing. That's why I'm here. I had to cover for James because we're trying to figure out who's killing us echoes. Do you know how the Zhangs got into the program? So much data was wiped when we were emancipated. But maybe Dr. Zhang might know. <laughs> you want to talk to him after ruining his wife's anniversary dinner? Great plan. That was an accident. Hadassah sets the dishes down and towels off her hands. <sighs> Come with me. Walking through the Zhang house is unnerving. The family photos of not me on the walls, the postmodern flamboyance in the house's design. I can't help wondering what my bio parents would think if they saw the ugly one-room flat where I live with its cheap decor and constantly running toilet. Hadassah ushers me into a room. I take in the lush decor. Unlike the rest of the house, there are live plants, a heap of plush cushions, art on the walls. In other words, signs of life. Is this my room? She sits on her bed and points at a chair strung with clothes, taking it as an invitation. I sit, though not before removing the jacket draped across it and folding it to set aside. She watches, something almost like amusement playing around her mouth. You seem like a pretty normal clone, not into that circle shit. I am, in fact, deeply into that circle shit. But I nod anyway. I've had enough arguments to know that those echoes who aren't into the circle won't be convinced in a single conversation. How did you get this job? Seems weird for Dr. Zhang to hire you if he's trying to hide the fact that his son has an echo. Well, James doesn't know I'm an echo. When I was emancipated, my mother told me to come to Dr. Zhang, that he'd take care of me. She points to a photo on the desk. It shows a young girl, Hadassah, and an older Asian woman. Their grinning faces squeezed cheek to cheek. The resemblance is obvious. She and Dr. Zhang were both part of the Alpha program, the first cloning initiative. When my mother died, she told me to find the Zhangs, since she didn't have any relatives to pawn me off on. Dr. Zhang wasn't thrilled, but he bullshitted my credentials. Now I'm a housekeeper. Yippee. She makes a little flourish with her wrists. Wow. Is he... Are they good to you? Not as good as my mom, but I think so. More or less. Uh, of course, I say sheepishly. I feel both an intense connection with her and a potent jealousy. She's an alpha echo, but she has a mother. Or she had one. Rasa pulls her bun loose. I stay away from the clone community, but I keep in touch with some alphas. I've heard about the killings, so you think, what? The bio firm is cleaning house? How do you know it's not just some anti-clone movement or, I don't know, 
circle radicals. I had the same theory, but hearing her say it, I don't want to agree. I mean, it could be. Look, I'm here because I had to cover for James, but I also just wanted to know why. Why? 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 That awful word that keeps my mind racing into the night. That interrupts every relationship I've ever had. Why did the Zhangs make me, only to abandon me? They didn't even tell James I existed. Why am I worth so much less than James? Why didn't they reach out to me after I was emancipated? All those whys land like arrows through my skull. Quietly, I say. Maybe knowing won't help. Not that I have a chance of talking to Dr. Zhang now. Harasa's mouth quirks in a half frown. Come with me. Another walk through the house, past guest rooms, a theater, a gym, and finally into an expansive office. Here. Hadassah ushers me to the plain, far wall. She presses a finger against it, and a door sways open. The entire wall is floor-to-ceiling cabinetry that conceals a dry bar, a flat-screen TV, shelving with books, and, at the bottom, an old-school safe. Absolutely archaic. Hadassah gestures to it, then crosses her arms, watching me expectantly. Um, I'm not a safe cracker. How did you even know this was here? Hadassah kneels and begins spinning the lock. I'm a housekeeper, Terence. I know every inch of this place, including its codes. How? I've been around long enough that Doc doesn't even notice me anymore. I don't realize I'm holding my breath until the safe clicks. She sits back on her heels. Go on. You don't want to see what's in there? Hadassah flicks my forehead. You think I haven't looked? There's not much to do with me. I'm going to keep an eye out. Get to it. Right. I'll hurry. I rifle through the papers, looking at hard drives marked as medical history, birth records, typical essential paperwork. In the rear of the safe, I find a particularly thick stack bound by a rubber band. I pull it out. Arco-Genesis Documents. Dr. Zhang's own observations on the cloning process. Alpha Echo records detailing subjects' mental and physical health. Profiles on the embryo donors. So Dr. Zhang worked at Arcogen. <sighs> Explains how he got into the program as a med student. I pause, hands trembling. There. A profile on me and James as infants. I bite my lip as I scan the documents. Most of the files from Archigenesis were destroyed upon the company's dissolution. Something Circle declared a blessing. What do our past matter when our futures are finally in our control? But the past does matter. The document lists all the results from the trials me and James were subjected to, along with many other infant clones. From six months old to a year, we were rigorously tested for spatial aptitude, visual motor integration, visual perception, and adaptive behavior. The doctors left no stone unturned. And James came out on top. Nausea churns in my gut. I push the paper aside and flip through the rest. There are multiple queries from another pharmaceutical company, Macalos Therapeutics, asking Dr. Zhang to meet with them 
and assuring him they were already working with some of his older colleagues who vouched for his work ethic. I scanned the doctor's names. None stand out. Except one. Dr. Rayner Newhouse. Is he related to Sophia? I card through paper after paper, fear welling as I skim the data. Then I land on a name I recognize. Roque. It isn't an official report. More of a private handwritten record on the first initiative of Alpha Clones. There are a few listed besides Roque. Like Irving. The pages describe their development. The poor living conditions and the mental illnesses and aggressions they develop from those environmental and societal stressors. But some of the cases were different. In these, Dr. Zhang claimed these problems were caused by genetic predispositions, that the cloning process produces aggressive phenotypes, or that one of the scientists was purposefully making aggressive phenotypes. The open jigsaw of Charlie's skull blinks. Who did Charlie see last? What if it wasn't someone from the circle? What if it was a serene face of a person who built his life on indifference to others? Whose profession necessitated numbness? Just like the retreat caretakers. Dr. Zhang. Okay, so now we have a very interesting change of point of view. We are now in Terence's head, uh, and also we get to see Terence uh, doing his best James impression. Um, who do you think wore it better? Um, also, you know, of course, there is the old saying, never meet your heroes. Uh, to that, I think we now have to add, never meet the parents of your biological source, and in the process, discover that they are pretty terrible parents, and also pretty heavily involved in very shady ways in the very cloning program from whence you were sprung. Uh, don't do that. But Terence already has, so, which is, you know, unfortunate for him, but fortunate for us, because it makes for great storytelling. So let's see where we go with that next time for episode six of Echo Park. My name is Neil Helligers, and I will see you then. Take care. You're listening to Echo Park, starring Harry Shum Jr. Echo Park is a Realm production. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Echo Park stars Harry Shum Jr. Written by Curtis C. Chen, Monty Lin, Millie Ho, Sloane Leong, and Jen Reese. Produced by Rhoda Belleza, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, 
and Haley Wagreich. Directed by Pun Bandu. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, Julian Yap, and Harry Shum Jr. Associate produced by Michael Coulter. Starring Harry Shum Jr. and Nikki Toison. Loop Group actors David Chen, James Taku Leung, Constance Parn, and Artemis Snow. Sound design by Krista Giametti. Mixing and mastering by Rory O'Shea. Audio editing by Justin DeWald. Original score by Martin D. Fowler. Music supervision by Marcus Begala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Production coordinator, Angela Yee. Casting by Sunday Bowling and Meg Mormon. Cover art by Kendall Thomas and Louise Daisy. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Adrenaline is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Begala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.